Amen. The riches of your love will always be enough. Let that ever reign true. Reading today, just as we stand and read God's Word, reading Romans 13, 8-10, says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let God's word resonate as, as the reading. Go ahead and be seated this morning. Good morning as we sit here today. And I got the call. Mike asked me to, to fill in and, and as, as the, the, the things that were unfolding for their family. And, and I was, I'm always happy to, to come and, and, and preach. Uh, I love doing it. I, I love to preach. Uh, in addition to leading worship, I love that as well. I did that this morning in the Heights. A little extra. It was a little extra this week. But as I was challenged, as we continue this series, we're focused on Exodus 20:15, which is the next commandment that simply says, thou shall not steal. And I thought, well, that's pretty simple. That could be my shortest sermon ever in 20 some years. Do not steal. Go and do likewise. But as I prepared, and as, I, and, and as God kind of read on, the, on that, that particular passage, and all these other passages kind of came to light, and I realized it really isn't that simple. I mean, stealing simply is, at its core, is taking something that doesn't belong to you. Taking something without permission. Taking something without asking. It doesn't matter how valuable it is. It doesn't matter uh, what it is, what the item is. And I think most of us would agree, I hope sitting here this morning, that we would agree that stealing is wrong. I can go down and talk to the kids that are, that's just left the service and ask that question, is stealing okay? And I think the majority would say no. There's always going to be that, that smart aleck kid who says, yeah, if I don't get caught. I was such that kid when I was younger. But I want, I want to remind you, what, what does it mean to steal? And, and I, let me take you back in my childhood when I, was, when I was young. I was about eight or nine years old, about the age that my youngest daughter is now. And it was my first experience in what stealing really is. Now, when, when I was around that age, all growing up, my family, uh, my parents, my sister and I, would always go on yearly vacations. Very often we'd camp somewhere, we'd travel, we, we would travel all over the country. And I remember about eight or nine years old, we traveled, we were staying in Colorado, and we were, at, we were camping, and we went to, and I honestly don't remember what exhibit, it could have been a museum or something, but I remember distinctively, vividly, walking in a parking lot. And we're walking along, and I got focused on my sister who was walking in front of me. I was watching her feet because she had gum stuck to her shoe. And as she's walking, I'm watching this gum get stuck to her shoe. And then all of a sudden, that gum, that, that shoe, it starts flapping. There's something on her shoe that's flapping. And I realized it was money. So I almost tackled my sister 
in a parking lot, and I grabbed that bill. It was a $20 bill. Now, me growing up as a kid, eight or nine-year-old, this, this, is, this is the 80s, and that was a lot of money for a kid who had no money. And I was excited. I'm like, look what I found. Look, look, look. And my dad, who was behind me, he saw it. He saw what it was. He said, it's money. He said, who does that belong to? I said, me. I just found it. He's like, no. He's like, you didn't have that money when you got out of the car, did you? I'm like, no, I, I, I don't have this much money. I found it. It was stuck to Leslie's shoe, who was my sister. He said, let me ask you again, son. Who does that belong to? I said, dad, it belongs to me. Finders, keepers. Losers, weepers. I was very mature at eight or nine. I was thinking that he thought maybe it belonged to my sister because it was on her shoe. Well, that wasn't going to happen. He said, no, son, that doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. He said, somebody is looking for that money. So you know what he had the audacity to make me do? He made me take that $20 bill that I had found, and it was mine, and he made me give it to the front desk of, I think, I'm pretty sure it was a museum, and say, hey, I found this, this $20 bill in the parking lot. My dad says it's not mine. I disagree, but he says it's not mine, and so I'm giving it to you in case somebody comes and claims it. Friends, I was so irritated at my father. And we went to lunch, and, and it was just boiling. I was just so fuming that my father, I, I had, I knew exactly how I could spend that money on some pointless trinket at that museum or whatever we were, so, some, or, or candy. I love candy. I could, I could have spent on a lot of things. My dad made me give that money back. And I said, you know what, dad? I bet you anything that that person that I just gave that money to probably just put it in their pocket and they took it. He said, you know what, son? You're probably right. But guess what? it still didn't belong to you. He said, you can't control what other people do. He said, but we are a believing family, and God says, don't steal. Don't take that which is not yours. Therefore, you had to do right and turn it in. That was my first experience with stealing. It's a lesson that I have learned and I've, I've carried through the years. I'm not bitter at my father anymore. I'll just have you know that. But but it is simply that. Stealing is simply that. Taking that which does not belong to us. Taking that that we, we've never had permission to take. And it, it, is, it is something that's fairly relative. I think in, in this day and age where, honestly, it's a little cloudy as to what belongs to who in the moral relativism, I think it's, it's easy. I think I could ask those who, who believe that you know, something's better, good for me, but not for you. I think they would agree that if they're the ones being stolen from, they would think that was wrong. That's a completely different message. I think if you walk into any society, we'll find people that hold to the view that taking something is someone else's, that, that is, belongs to someone else without permission is wrong. I think we can agree on that. Can we agree on that? That's good. I'm going to assume that you're, you're with me. So it, it begs the question, so if we recognize as society, basically as a society that it's wrong to steal, why did God find it necessary to put it into his covenant, into what we call the Ten Commandments, surrounded by not murdering? Yeah, we agree on that. Not coveting, not committing adultery. 
He pointed out, do not steal. It's very specific. Here's why. Stealing at its core is a sin against God, and it was the first sin. You go all the way back to Adam and Eve at the time of creation. Eve, who was deceived by the enemy, deceived by the serpent in the garden, saw that tree uh, with the fruit of knowledge between good and evil. Saw that we always assume, we always picture it's an apple. I don't know why. It could have been orange. I really don't know. It doesn't really matter. But she saw that. She wanted it. She knew it was forbidden. She knew God said not to do it. But she took it. She had then stolen that which belonged to God. Stolen. And, and went one step further. And then you have Adam, who, of course, blames Eve and said, this woman you gave to me gave me the fruit. Well, the truth is he knew better as well. Stealing is, is a sin that is as old as creation itself. Now, in today's world, when we think about it, it's as the sin against society, so we're going to get to, in a moment, how it's, the sin is against God, because it very well is. That's why it's in the core doctrine of the Ten Commandments. It's, that's why it's there, is how to live life according to God's will, how to live in interacting with God. But as a society, I think we, we have begun, <clears throat> certainly through the decades, to kind of trivialize stealing. I, I'm, throughout literature, television, uh, movies, I, I think my, my instant one that I think about literature is Robin Hood. I, I love Robin Hood. Don't get me wrong. I love the story of Robin Hood. It's why I wanted to, be, to pick up the bow and arrow and learn how to be an archer, because I wanted to be able to split that arrow at the end of the target. I never got that good, but that's okay. But, but the idea, the whole concept of Robin Hood is he robs from the rich to give to the poor saying that stealing is okay if you're justified in your means. Well, that's a contradiction against God. God says, no, any stealing is wrong. doesn't matter why you're doing it. Then I think about movies, and I, some of you may remember, that it's, this movie has been made twice. There's a movie out there called Ocean's Eleven. There's a, multiple movies with the same premise, but this movie was made, made twice. The one I remember is when it had George Clooney and Brad Pitt and, I don't know, a whole, a whole slew of, of high-profile actors at the time. And, and the old one, the, the, the original one, uh, had Frank Sinatra in it. The whole movie around Ocean's Eleven is based on criminals planning a heist or stealing from this gambling, you know, crime boss, this guy who had all this money. So the idea was we're taking it from somebody who it probably doesn't belong to them either, but we're planning it and we kind of glorify the concept of stealing. But it kind of reminds me this, that, that in this world, which as believers, we say we're in the world, but we're not of the world. There is a decision that we have to make here. The world says, Take what you can. God's word says, God says to give what you can. The world says take what you can. Take what you can get, even if you have to steal it. Get what you can. I remember there was a, a, a I don't remember what it was, a movie or something, and the line was, take what you can and steal the rest. That's the philosophy of the world. 
A world that is full of sin, a world that is against God, a world that does not honor God. The world says take what you can. God says to give what you can. I want to read Romans 13, 8 through 10 again and as, we, as we get to this. It says this once again. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, if we'd only make it that simple, we'd be living better lives. But let's, let's talk about for a minute ways people steal. Because I think it's important as a society we, we start to understand this. And, and I want you, to, first and foremost, because I've now done this, this particular message twice, and I have people talk to me about other ways that people steal. I get there's probably, you could, you could take this to, to a whole other world, but I, I want to focus just on these just for a moment. I found there's, there's really three ways that we, we steal, that we as a society can steal. One is by force. This is simple theft, robbery, burglary. These are, we, we literally physically take something from somebody else or an entity. I deal with people all the time in, my, in the corrections field where people have been convicted of theft or robbery or, or burglary. I deal with them all the time. That's the simplest. That's the, in, in its pace. That's, that's where we are. The other one that is becoming more and more prevalent is by deception. This is where we, we, we're dishonest or we trick or we cheat or we hold back the complete truth and, and literally take advantage of something. The first thing that comes to mind now in today's age is, is concepts of identity theft, where we're lying about who we are in order to gain, for financial gain. Uh, you know, uh, fraud, insurance fraud, these kind of things where we're, we're not giving it. But, but something as simple as, you know, uh, used car salesmen uh, used to get a bad rap for, for selling junk, uh, you know, but not that they're all that way. But I had such an experience where I, I purchased a car early on in my, in, my, in my youth when we first got, my wife and I first got married, shortly before we got married. So I made the decision, and my wife corrected me later. Um, but we bought this car, I bought this vehicle, and, and, and the guy was like, yeah, it runs great, everything runs fine, you can have it checked out by a mechanic. I didn't, because I was young and a little naive. And I purchased the car, and in about a week, the engine threw a rod. And I took it back, I said, listen, this thing is broken. He's like, I know, but you didn't ask, and all sales are final. That's deception. We, do, we see that in day to day. If you look at, like, if you ever buy real estate, if you buy property, we have to do what a seller has to do is called a full disclosure, tell you everything that's wrong in the house in a list to tell you what's wrong with the house so you know what you're purchasing. Sometimes there's information that doesn't get into that. Sometimes it's on purpose. And so, but then you can come back and say, this wasn't disclosed. I know. The idea of deception is you, d- you could have asked, you didn't, and I didn't tell. That's deception. That's not the full truth. The other one is, is what we would call defrauding or, or fraudulent. Now, I'm going to date myself uh, when I say this, and I think some of you will understand. This is like writing a bad check. Nobody writes checks anymore. But at the time, you could write a check, and, and maybe you've, you've seen this. You could go to a grocery store, and you write a check for cash. 
Like I write a check for $50 and, I, and that grocer gives me the $50, even though I know in the back of my head that there's no money in the account that I just wrote a check for. And then it used to take a two or three days for them to find out, uh, in addition, oh, there's no money in this account, and then they don't get the money back that I just took. That's writing a bad check. That's taking. That's defraud. I'm, fraud, I'm, I'm fraudulently writing a bad check, writing something. Maybe it's something as simple as not paying a bill you know you owe, or trying to get something for nothing, withholding that which we owe, or borrow money and promise to pay back at a certain time, but don't. This happens a lot with families where we literally steal from families because we borrow money and we, we say, yeah, we're going to pay it back. And maybe we intend to pay it back, but we never really do. It's something very simple. It doesn't matter, friends, what type, what type of stealing it is. All stealing is wrong, according to the Bible. There is no such thing as petty theft in God's sight. No such thing. And what I have found as a culture is what has happened through the years is that stealing from others, those people who steal, and they affect, it affects us in such a way that it impacts our trust in others. You know, we're no longer as trusting as a society. We're no longer as trusting with people. We almost, part of us in, in some mind, think we're going to get taken advantage of. And therefore, we guard against everything. That's an attitude of hardened heart. That's what happens. And the characteristics of the character of those who steal a little is the same as those who steal much. It doesn't matter, and it affects us as a society. It affects us individually greatly. Luke 16, 10 through 11 says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, that which you don't, doesn't belong to you, who will entrust to you the true riches? I have found personally that I am not as trusting of people as I once was. I, again, I think of identity theft. I remember, some of you may remember the TV commercial when LifeLock first came around. It was a protection against identity theft. And that got the owner of LifeLock, the creator... He was so bold that he, put his, he would put his social security number on the, on the side of buses, essentially begging for people to try and steal. He wanted to show how his product worked. But the fact that we have to have that kind of product implies and gives us indication that we no longer trust people as we once do. Why? Because we know somebody's going to steal from us. So it, it, it impacts how we interact with others. It impacts our trust in others. The other thing, just at the very core as a society and as believers, is that stealing comes from an evil heart. Stealing is not of God. Stealing is not an act of love. It's an act of hate. It comes from an evil heart, and it defiles us spiritually when it happens. Matthew 15, 19-20 says this, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, Theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. These, what Scripture is telling us, is this is what breaks down the human spirit. This is what breaks down and, and teaches things. And that, that particular verse got me started thinking, again, not an exhaustive list, but, but why, why do people steal? 
Now, instantly we think it's, an, it's a question of greed. They, I see it, I want it, I take it. That, that happens sometimes. But let's, let's roll back, and it's not, always, it's not always an attitude of greed. Sometimes it's simply the thrill. You think about shoplifting. The vast majority of shoplifting, the person who shoplifts has the ability to pay for the item. But the thrill is, I'm going to take it. And there's some kind of thrill and, and, and rush in stealing something. That happens. But in my current profession, what I have found to be true is that there are really three things that go deeper than the idea of greed or a thrill. One of the things that I have found, the number one reason a lot of people steal, physically steal in this world, is because of addiction. They have an addiction to something else. They have an addiction to uh, chemical, they have a chemical dependency, uh, they, uh, illegal drugs, things like heroin and methamphetamine, those kind of things. And the, but, but it's not always about drugs. Sometimes maybe they have a gambling addiction. Whatever the addiction is, it becomes the forefront. It becomes the focus to the point that that person is so needing that fix that they are willing to steal to get it. They take things, that which they can maybe sell for cash, and then that fills, that, that, that provides so they can get their fix. That's addiction. It's the number one thing. I, I see it all the time. The other thing is, is out of desperation. So these are, are individuals who, maybe they have hit rock bottom. They've lost their job. They've lost their house. They've lost their family. They see literally no end in sight, no positive step, and out of desperation in order to maybe make ends meet or, or whatever the case may be, they steal in order to provide. One of the things I've also found that's interesting is this concept, it's what I would call learned behavior. I've had in my experience individuals who, who grew up learning to steal and, and to thieve for what they have. They learn, you know, as children, they learn how to pick a pocket or, or pick a lock before they learn their ABCs. It was the family business, so to speak. It's a learned behavior. There's a whole lot to the attitude uh, and to the reasons behind why people steal. Now, very clearly, friends, my hope is that in this group, we can, we can agree that is, no matter what the background is, no matter what the reason the act of stealing is wrong. Stealing from other people is wrong. I don't think we disagree on that. If we do, you can see me after service. Okay? But one of the things I want to focus on uh, in this sec second section here is that although we never would consider stealing from another person, very often as believers, we take for granted stealing or robbing from God. Remember, this is in the Ten Commandments. The, 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 prior, the whole focus of the Ten Commandments is to live according to God's law, to live according in concordance with other people, as well as how we present ourselves to God as the King, as the Savior and Lord, acknowledging the power and authority of God. And although we may never steal from another person, there are times where we do withhold or we take from God. So the first thing is this, that it's more than just taking that which we, that we see, we identify, we take it, we want it. 
biblically speaking, when we think when we think as believers, very often our robbing of God is by withholding that which we should give. Withholding that which we should give. Malachi, the book of Malachi and throughout the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Malachi, though, God, God speaks on this through, through his prophet Malachi. And, and just to give you background, it, the, I think Malachi 3, 6 through 10 is going to be up here, and, and I, I want you, I'm going to encourage you to read it um, as you study, maybe as extended study this week. But let me give you the background. In Malachi, the book of Malachi, what is happening is that the, 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 the kingdom of Judah, the, the, the southern kingdom of Israel, they are bringing, they're bringing offerings, they're bringing tithes, that which, which the law says they should bring, but they're not bringing what would be called the first fruits. They're bringing in to the priests, and the priests are giving as, as offerings, sacrificial offerings, particularly animals that were, as scripturally, you're supposed to bring the, the, the unblemished, the, the, the clean animal, right? The, the one that's without blemish, without flaw. What they were doing is they were bringing animals that they probably wouldn't keep anyway. They were lame, or maybe they were blind, they were flawed, and they were bringing that as the offering. Or they were bringing things that, that they had acquired from, from non maybe legal ways. They were bringing that as offerings. And, and God calls his people out for this. And he calls them out, and he says, why are you robbing from me? This is a paraphrase of Malachi. Why are you robbing from me? And, and the people would say, how are we robbing from you, God? And he identifies, because you are bringing the tithes and offerings that are flawed. You're not really giving that which you should. And then, he, and then it says in Malachi 10, he said, bring me all the tithes and offerings in the storehouse so that my house may be full. And then what? I will pour out a blessing to you from heaven, that which you will not be able to receive. See, this is the relationship that we're supposed to have. As, as, as our relationship grows with the Lord, we realize more and more and more that God is the provider that he is the provider and the provision for all of our needs, friends. And, and as such, we acknowledge that in our acknowledgement that he is the one who blesses, that he is the one that, honestly, we can never give out, give, give, outgive God. We can never outgive the Lord. It allows us to give joyfully in acknowledgement that God is the provider. My, my wife and I, very, for a long time now, when we first were married, we were not very good givers. And understand, folks, this is not a guilt trip on tithes and offerings. This is simply pointing this out in my own experience, okay? We, we, would, we would not put God first in our marriage. We would not put God first in financially. And very often we would say, oh, well, we want to give, but we really need that money. We really need those finances. So how can we give? And we went through, we, as, a, as a married couple, we decided to go through a, a, uh, a, like a biblical financial course. And the, the speaker said, how can you not give? And he talked about the fundamentals of giving, literally giving, that not only of our, our resources, but of our time, our, uh, all these things that, that we are to give in, in offering to God. And we began as a, as a couple to prioritize giving to God first. 
And let me tell you, in the 16 years that we have been married now, I cannot, as we have walked through that, I cannot remember a time where we have missed those resources. It doesn't mean everything was great, it was, everything was perfect, we had everything we wanted, but we had everything we needed. We acknowledged God was providing for us, and I don't ever remember missing that. It comes down to this, friends, that withholding our tithes and offerings because we think we need them to provide for our needs, it only robs God. Not even robbing God of, of the, somebody pointed this out to me, and it's very true how I was saying it earlier. It's not to say that God needs our finances, that God needs our resources. God is the provider. He has everything. He doesn't need anything from us as necessity, but it does rob him from us experiencing his blessing because we don't fully trust. Which is kind of that second thing is when we when we fail to or we withhold from God that which we should give, it really acknowledges that we have a failure in trusting God's provision. We have a failure to trust in God's provision. Now, I want to focus a little bit on a, on a scripture here in Acts five. In Acts chapter four, this is the really the beginning of the church. This is where Jesus had ascended from, into heaven, and the Holy Spirit came down, and it consumed like a consuming fire. That's what Scripture tells us. And, and, was, and, and was filling the people, filling his church with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And people were so excited and energized and devoted to the, the teaching of the apostles that they were selling, literally selling property, selling everything that they had, and bringing it to the apostles' feet in order to support the ongoing ministry of what was happening. It was a great thing. In Acts chapter 5, there's a couple, married couple, by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. Scripture says in, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Then scripture tells us that Ananias at that moment, he breathed his last and he died at Peter's feet. And then we, we go on into that, that, that Sapphira, his wife, unknowing what had happened to her husband, came before Peter and Peter said, why have you allowed, knowingly agreed to withhold this from God? Why were you not being honest? Friends, I, I want you to understand this, this passage. Th this has nothing to do with selling everything that you own and, giving, and making sure you give all of that 100% to God. That, has not, that is not the purpose of this particular scripture. That's not what's being challenged here. 
In fact, Peter identifies it, say, we, we understand this is your property. We know that you sold it. The, the problem is, you're not honest in what you gave. You presented what you gave as the entirety of the proceed. You deceived, not the people, you deceived God by trying to say you withheld that. You just weren't honest. He's saying, you're not lying to me, you're lying to God. It had nothing to do with with making sure you're giving everything. It, It has everything to do with what you give be honest in that giving, be 100% true, and give that joyfully. We don't, it doesn't bring into question, or it doesn't really challenge us. What were Ananias and Sapphira's, what, what, were their, what was their motivation behind why they did what they did? Very honestly, they, they, they could have thought, we, may, we're gonna, we can't give all of it, but we need some of it. Why? Because we have other things. We have to live, and this is how we made our money and, and how we made our income. So we're going we're gonna to hold part of that back. That would have been fine if they were honest. There was nothing wrong with that. Peter identifies that. But at, the, at its root, what it's telling us is that Ananias and Sapphira were so concerned, they, they full, did not fully acknowledge that God would continue to provide for them. As they are faithful to give, He is faithful to, to provide. They didn't trust that. That was the deception. That was the problem. See, it comes down to this, friends. Non-believers, I'm, I'm, speaking, I'm speaking to the church now, non-believers who steal physically, emotionally, whatever the case may be, who steal, they simply don't trust God to be the provider. Why? It's because they don't know God. They don't have a, that relationship with God yet. They're not a believer. We can kind of separate that. The, the, the issue is, and here it is, but for the Christian, that who proclaims to be a child of God, that who proclaims to be a follower of God's law, to be a follower of God's covenant, that who, who has said that they have accepted Christ as Jesus, as Savior and Lord of their life, and acknowledge that He is the provider, often fail to trust that God will provide. So often we withhold from the Lord not because we, we, we want to be, because we don't think God needs it. Again, God doesn't need this. He's providing it to you. But we think, I, I need it more than other people. I, I need to hold on it. I need, maybe I need it, I need it for a rainy day or I need it just to hold on to it because I don't know what's about to come. It's a lack of trust. And we withhold that. Very often, some, a lot of times, another aspect of that is that we, we, we confuse our needs from our wants. What do I need? I need food. I need shelter. I need I need family. I need to be able to provide. Those are things I need. I don't necessarily need that shiny new vehicle. I don't necessarily need that big giant house. I don't don't need that. I may want that. And make no mistake, this is not always an easy concept. It was not easy for my wife and I to, at, at first, to identify. First and foremost, we needed to give to God. 
And this goes beyond finances. Maybe you're withholding your talents. Maybe you're withholding that which God has, has, has given you, your strengths and your talents, your abilities, and you're using that for yourself to provide for yourself, but yet you're not giving and acknowledging that God provided that to you. Maybe that's part of it. See, God will provide for our needs. He may not always provide for our wants. Why? Because He doesn't want us to become dependent on the things in this world to provide happiness. God will provide for your needs so that you begin to depend upon Him. And that relationship with Him continues to grow and to do just that. But then, then there's one more part that I want you to focus on a little bit, is when we, when we fail to trust God and His provision that He will provide for us, and again, we begin to, we begin to look internally, and we begin to, to, go, we, we begin to become guarded and, and hardened heart. What that happens is we, we become unwilling to place others before ourselves. Again, Romans 13, 8, 10 talks about this, says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And he said, love does no wrong. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Again, the world says, take what you can. God says, give what you can. God says, I am the provider. I will provide it for all your needs. I want you to give what you can, what you are able. At the core, folks, the church is a body of believers that is united in purpose. Understanding that as believers, that we're first and foremost, we were bought at a price. God provides for us because we were bought at a price. Understand that Christ, Jesus Christ, came despite all the sins, all the flaws, all the, all the broken down evil nature of man the sinful nature of man, he came anyway. Came as a servant. He didn't come as a king with with high riches and and wealth. He came and understood that God would provide for all his needs. He gave thanks for God providing all his needs. And he came not for himself, but for us. So that he came and died on the cross and paid the price for our sins. Paid the price and acknowledged, knowing that that was the perfect sacrifice that fulfilled the law, fulfilled the covenant, so that all people who call upon Him and acknowledge Him as Savior and Lord of their life, and invite Him to become Savior and Lord, and then the Holy Spirit fills us, we are no longer our own. We were bought at a price. And the fact that that God, the Father, bought us at that price means He will continue to take care of our lives because He paid that price. He wants to provide. He wants to be here. And He wants to do it so so that we, in a dark time, and, and that we can then acknowledge our responsibility. We acknowledge that Christ paid for us. The Father provides for us. The Holy Spirit guides us so that we can honor Him not only in what we give, but also in how we lift up others. 
The church is united in this purpose. We have the responsibility, friends, that's Jesus' model, to place others before ourselves, to help those who struggle and are in need, to help those that are struggling with, with addiction, to help those who are struggling in a darker and darker world, that we can then take on that responsibility. And I believe that has never been clearer now as our, as our mission. And we as believers surround them and help those around us and provide for them so that they can then accept that same relationship, understanding that God is their provider. I think we have a decision to make, friends, as believers. Maybe, maybe you're here today, and, and as we have talked about these things, I, I want you to challenge you to turn the corner and allow for Lord to lift you up. Maybe we've been talking about things and, and then you realize, yeah, maybe you're not stealing from others, but maybe there are some aspects of your life where you've been robbing God or you've been stealing from God. I want you to take part in this. Here's how we kind of right the ship, make things right. The first thing is this. We acknowledge our life and possessions are not our own. Remember, you were bought at a price. It means when you were purchased as a price, your life is no longer your own. Everything you have and everything you are is to be used according to God's will and purpose. And when we do that, we also trust that God will continue to provide. Keeping this, friends, in proper perspective understands we don't provide for ourselves. It's the Lord who provides, but he provides for us mostly. He, he gives us those gifts and talents so that they can be used. How are they used? They're used through our work. God designed mankind to work. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created not only to commune with God in the garden, but also to tend to the garden. Work has always been part of that design. Now, once sin came, that work became harder. We acknowledge that. But God remained faithful. He continued. And He still, to this day, continues. He's designed us to work hard and, and, and in our work to glorify Him. He, my, my friends, because He is the provider, He has freed us from the need to steal. He is the provider. Now, when we trust that, then the next step is that we have to humble ourselves before Him. Remember Acts 4.32 says the full number of those who were there, they believed were of, it says, one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. 34 says, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and they distributed it to each as any had need. This is not a commercial for us to sell all of our property and to live in a commune. I'm not going there. We're not going there. But it is to acknowledge, to understand that when we humble ourselves, we acknowledge that God will continue to provide for our needs. God is faithful. We in turn are faithful to Him. And there becomes this revolving relationship. So we humble ourselves before God, acknowledging that our life is not our own. We, we bow at the Lord's feet and, say, and, and asking Him to continue to be faithful as we know His Scripture promises He will do. The other thing is this, and again, we're designed to work, but part of the attitude is we need to, in our daily walk, we need to seek God in our work. 
Ephesians 4.28, I love this verse because I think it absolutely applies. It says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Did you catch that? He's, if he's a thief, let him not steal. Let, let him not steal, but rather teach him. Let him labor. Let him work and find the, the joy that comes in work. Let him find it so he can have, begin have honest work in his own hands so that what? So, not so that he has everything that he wants, so that he may have something to share with someone else in need. Colossians 3, 23, 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Do you seek God in your work? Do you humble yourself before Him, acknowledging that He is the great provider? Again, we have a choice to make. The world says, take what you can. God says, I am the provider. I provide to you. I am faithful to you. I give to you so that you give faithfully and to give what you can. My challenge is, friends, which side of the spectrum are you going to be? Sometimes we try to be in the middle. We can't. We have to make a choice. Follow God, follow the world. As for me, I want to follow God. Let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now thankful again to be gathered in this place together, to find joy in that which you do provide, finding that we are not any longer our own, that you have bought us and paid for us at such a price ultimately through the sacrifice of your son, that you continue to care for us. And you, begin, you continue to invest in us so that, that we can give back to you and, and receive, continue to receive your blessings, but also so that we can help those around us. Father, we, we acknowledge today that you, you don't need anything from us. You're, we're, you're not required. You, you don't need our income. You don't need all these things. You are the great provider. You are King Most High. But Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you use us in how we give to others and how you provide for us, that we acknowledge today that your presence is paramount in our lives and is the guiding force walking us through each day. Father, as we walk today, as we, we go from this place and, and throughout the week, Father, encourage us to live and seek you in everything that we do. Seek you in our work, trusting that you will continue to provide. And in our decision-making, help us to make the right decision according to your will and purpose. Father, understanding it may not be easy, but it is the right choice. Father, encourage us to make that choice and live each day for you. Father, we thank you ultimately just for your love continuing to love us despite our sinful nature, despite our flaws, that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. Father, we thank you for that love. We thank you for that example. Father, more of you, less of us every day. In Jesus' name, amen.